You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with new developments in that deadly plane crash on Gabriola Island. The twin engine aircraft went down around 6.30 last night on the northwest tip of the island. RCMP say there were no survivors and the transportation board is now investigating. Global's Brad McLeod has more on what we're learning about the flight and the victims. This is the plane wreckage in daylight. It's a treed area just meters from neighboring homes and steps from the beach. And we now know the crash claimed the life of this man, pilot Alex Balson. This was Tuesday night, just after 6 p.m., meters from the crash site. But before the volunteer firefighters, the ambulance, and RCMP arrived, neighbors were the first to rush to help in the fire-filled woods. Probably within about a minute of the crash, I was at the crash site. It was just absolute utter devastation. Ablaze with the smell of fuel, home was first on the scene and knew there wasn't any survivors after seeing the state of the wreckage, but he still searched. Looking in the bushes and just yelling for people and seeing if you could hear any kind of sounds of life, but there was nothing. The BC coroner's office has confirmed multiple people died in the crash. It's believed the plane took off from Bishop Airport in California, flying to BC, where it ran into some kind of trouble. Flight tracker shows it's circling several times over Gabriola Island before it disappears. The track plane was a Piper PA-60 Aerostar. And the Transportation Safety Board is saying the crashed plane is a twin engine, like the Piper. The BC coroner's office, TSB and RCMP were on scene investigating the wreckage all day, using every bit of daylight to try and figure out what happened. This was very weird. It sounded like backfiring almost. We heard a thump and instant silence. When it was circling above us and I saw it go straight down into the ground um, and a massive explosion. It's a crash that has literally shaken this community. You just have to pray for the families. It's sad. Brad McLeod, Global News, Gabriola Island. And Sarah McDonald is following this story for us as well. Tonight, Sarah, you've learned more about Alex Balson, the pilot. He was an experienced aviator. That's right, Chris. By all accounts, a pilot on board that plane was highly skilled and experienced behind the controls with connections and family members in B.C., Alberta and Mexico. Colleagues and friends of Alex Balson have identified him as one of the victims of yesterday's crash on Gabriola Island. Balson is a former flight instructor, an aerobatic and a helicopter pilot by trade, and a father and a grandfather with two grown daughters, one of which lives in the Fraser Valley, the other in Calgary. Balson owned the AJ Flying Ranch south of Calgary. We are told he divided his time between an acreage there, a property on Vancouver Island, and another house in Mexico. He has also volunteered his time in the air, flying rescue pets across the province under a program called Pilots and Paws. Balson was one of several victims killed in that crash, as we now know. We are still waiting to learn who else was on board that twin-engine plane with him. Chris, we do know his family members, including a daughter and a son-in-law based in Chilliwack, are gathering in Alberta tonight. Sarah, thank you. Well, sheriffs in California have arrested a man suspected of harboring B.C.'s most wanted fugitive before his arrest earlier this month. 40-year-old Sam Coe was taken into custody last Friday near Sacramento 
after sheriffs served warrants on two of his properties. He's accused of harboring murder suspect Brandon Teixeira, who was arrested in a violent takedown in Northern California on December 6th. Coe is also charged with maintaining residences for illegally selling narcotics and cannabis. After detectives received information, he may have been helping Teixeira distribute illegal drugs. Crews in Burnaby had their hands full today, battling an aggressive blaze that broke out inside a commercial building. Smoke poured from the site as the fire quickly grew into a three alarm, threatening nearby businesses. Julia Foy has more on the firefight and the investigation. The sky was darkened for several hours over an industrial area in Burnaby after a massive fire ripped through a warehouse building on Burn Street. So we have had a partial roof collapse. Burnaby firefighters raced to the scene just after 7 a.m. when smoke was seen rising out of an import-export building. Currently we're at a third alarm assignment. Uh, so we have uh, approximately 42 firefighters and staff down here uh, right now. Uh, six engines, three ladder companies. The blaze was hot and hard to control because the business appeared to be filled with clothing and textiles. The one that's on fire is just, just piles and piles of rags. So it's boxes and clothing and plastic bags and everything. Uh, they definitely had a hard time getting in there. Um, it was uh, difficult to gain entry. Our crews uh, did use forcible entry, encountered uh, heavy smoke and fire conditions. The flames moved quickly and damaged four units, including a wood cabinetry business and a tool rental company. Then, shortly after noon, part of the roof collapsed and it became too dangerous for crews to go back in. But fortunately, no one appears to have been hurt. Uh, there are no injuries at this point from any civilians or firefighters reported, uh, so that's great oh, news. There. What caused this fire is still unclear, so fire officials are investigating. All right, Julia Ford joins us live at the scene tonight. Despite the pouring rain, Julia, that scene is still smoldering. Absolutely. Yes, the rain's been coming down pretty hard all day. But if you look behind me, you can see a fire truck is still on scene. There are two firefighters at the top and they've been dousing water into the interior of that collapsed building for several hours. Steam keeps rising and we're told they're going to be here for a lot longer. In fact, all through the night. Back to you. All right, Julia Foy live in Burnaby. Thanks, Julia. Now, some terrifying moments for a group of Kelowna teenagers allegedly assaulted by a pair of suspected thieves, and their confrontation was all caught on video. Do it! Buddy. Do it. Oh, yeah. oh. oh! The students from Kelowna Secondary School were on their lunch break when they encountered the man and the woman in that vehicle. Some kind of altercation ensued, and at least one student was bear sprayed. The teens called 911, started filming, and tried to block the suspects in with their own vehicles. And at that point, the suspects reversed and then rammed one of the students' vehicles, then sped away. So we blocked them off, and I'm sitting in my car, and he pulls up to me. And he looks at me, and he hangs out his window, and he said, I'm going to hit you. And I didn't think he was going to do it, honestly, but I wasn't going to let him go. And so they... They reversed up about probably 40, 50 feet from what I could tell and hit me dead on. We can't comment on people taking uh, their own actions. We do commend them for calling 911 immediately. The two suspects, a man and a woman from the Kelowna area, 
were tracked down by police and later taken into custody. RCMP say the vehicle they were driving was stolen and was full of stolen goods. The pair are now facing a string of charges. It's been a little over a year since 37-year-old Michael Thompson was found murdered in a Richmond home. Today, his sister made an emotional appeal. On September 20th of 2018, Thompson's body was found inside an abandoned house in the 9100 block of Audlin Road in Richmond. New surveillance video released by iHit Today shows Thompson's last confirmed location prior to his death was at the McDonald's attached to the Walmart Supercenter at 9251 Alderbridge Way in Richmond around 11:10 p.m. September 19th. We know of several individuals who have full knowledge of what happened to Michael that night but are choosing not to cooperate with our investigators. We need them to provide us a statement of what they know so that we can advance Michael's investigation. I know you might be scared, but I ask you, please do the right thing. This was an innocent life taken for no reason. This was my brother, and me and my family want justice and closure. Anyone with information is asked to call the IHIT tip line or Crime Stoppers. The Greater Vancouver Board of Trade is calling on municipalities to work together on business licenses for ride hailing. And they warn, if they don't, it could stall the industry before it ever gets rolling. Richard Zussman reports. It's been a growing frustration for those helping to get into the new industry. Now a powerful voice throwing its voice behind regional business licenses for ride-sharing companies. This is about the economy and this is an opportunity for collaboration. The Greater Vancouver Board of Trade pushing for one fee for companies across the region. Just as Metro Vancouver's Mayor's Council is set to debate the issue on Thursday. To use this as a catalyst to go beyond the municipal borders and to really think about us as the region of Greater Vancouver. Ride sharing is set to come to BC by the end of this month. Right now, municipalities have drawn up a patchwork of business licenses. For more than $500 a license in Burnaby to $25 in Delta. The total, a little less than $1,000 for potential ride-sharing drivers or companies. All of this putting pressure on those companies hoping to operate here before Christmas. There's too many different approaches to how we will allow these businesses to operate. So we're going to wait till we get the first company up and running, and then we're going to sit down with municipalities and say, hey, we need to figure this out. Both the government and the B.C. Liberals applauding the Tri-Cities, who have passed a regional license for the three municipalities, tacking on a per-vehicle charge with no upfront costs. But the Liberals say the government has botched the ride-sharing rollout. And the barriers keep going up left, right and centre, and I'd be very, very surprised if anything but a Mickey Mouse ride-sharing system is running before Christmas. Larger companies like Lyft and Uber are concerned the licenses will impact the ability to recruit drivers, while smaller BC-based companies like Cavu are worried this will stop them from operating at all. We believe that uh, small companies, Canadian companies like Cavu, our company uh, will have a hard time coming up with the finances to operate in some of these uh, cities. But not all these cities want ride-sharing, including Burnaby with sky-high license fees and Surrey, who won't issue them at all. An expected bumpy start for an industry just around the corner. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Lengthy traffic delays in downtown Vancouver around the art gallery today. 
And this was why a water main break at Georgia and Hornby forcing the closure of several lanes. It's the second time in three months that pipe has sprung a leak in the area. The city says it was installed almost 100 years ago and has reached the end of its life. It's been giving us trouble in the past, so uh, it's scheduled for replacement starting January 6th next, uh, next year. So we need it to last for another month. Uh, and then we're going to come back and change about three blocks of pipes right here. The replacement work in January is expected to take four months and affect traffic along Georgia from Thurlow to Howe. Another giant step forward for a major development project in Vancouver. Squamish First Nation members voted overwhelmingly in favor of a landmark development that will forever change the skyline near the Burrard Bridge. Nadia Stewart reports. The Squamish people have given us a resounding mandate to move forward on the Sanok development. It is a historic housing project, now another step closer to becoming a reality. And for the first time in Vancouver, led by a First Nation. We feel that this is a landmark decision and a huge landslide uh, victory for our people who have wanted to see the Squamish Nation benefit from all the development that happens within our territory. Squamish Nation members were asked two questions, answering a resounding yes to both. 87% voted to approve of the 120-year lease of three lots in Sinoc, and 81% were in favor of a 50-50 partnership between Squamish Nation and developer West Bank. The plan is to build 11 towers at the foot of Burrard Bridge. We see this as the beginning to build that capacity internally into the community. Control of the land was returned to Squamish Nation following a claim nearly 20 years ago. This time around, the city has no say in the project. The nation's council says negotiations around land designation are ongoing with building partner West Bank and all levels of government. They're already working with the school board to discuss spaces for students. Well, the city is going to have to do things like, I'm sure, sewer and electricity and transit. Councillor Jean Swanson says the project is what the city needs. An Indigenous group building housing on their own land um, and not having to obey other people's rules, I think it's so exciting and groundbreaking. The project includes 6,000 units, about 70 to 90 percent market rate rentals, and the rest strata condo. Affordable rental housing units are also planned, and up to 200 are being set aside for Squamish Nation members. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Vancouver police show off more than $100,000 worth of stolen high-end goods. Where they found it, coming up on the news hour. And stunning new developments in the 737 MAX scandal. The early warning that was ignored prior to the second fatal crash later. Right now, though, a ruling tonight on a question many drivers will be curious about. If a cell phone is visible in a vehicle driven by a new driver, does that constitute distracted driving? Well, a man at first found guilty of just that has now won his case on appeal. Grace Key has more on why the judge overturned the original verdict. Last year in Burnaby, an end driver was issued a ticket for having a cell phone mounted on his dashboard. New drivers are prohibited from using electronic devices while driving. But the officer never saw the young driver use the phone. The driver won his case on appeal with Crown conceding. 
It was incredibly murky. Police officers didn't know how to interpret the law, what constituted use, and whether they should ticket for phones being loose in the vehicle, phones just being held, or phones actually being interacted with by the drivers. The judge noted electronic devices have a latent potential for distraction, but to commit an offense, an accompanying act is required. And merely driving within sight of a device is not enough to constitute use. And in this case, there was no evidence that he watched, operated or communicated by means of the device in any way. Nor was there evidence that he was holding the device. This ruling makes things a lot more clear, but there's still going to be a lot of unanswered questions. Defense lawyer Kyla Lee was not involved in this case, but deals extensively with driving law issues. She says there are still questions regarding other interactions with the phone. Technically, the legislation says watching the screen of a phone may constitute an offense, but if you're just glancing at the screen to see the time, are you watching the screen or are you just looking at it? And is that against the law? Lee says the government needs to consider whether it's time to rewrite the distracted driving laws. If they're wanting to prohibit people having phones loose in the vehicle or end drivers having the phone accessible at all, they need to make that clear in the legislation. And until they do that, we're going to continue to see confusion. So new drivers in a similar circumstance may now have this decision to help dispute a recently issued ticket. Grace Key, Global News. For a second time in as many days, Vancouver police are trying to emphasize to the public they are cracking down on property crime. Today, a show-and-tell involving tens of thousands of dollars in stolen merchandise. Jordan Armstrong has more on where it came from and how it was being sold. Dragon Imperial Brandy. Booze, bags, braziers, and everything else in between. All this stuff seized from a home in East Vancouver last month. This is a large quantity of stolen items, and we are working with multiple retail stores to get their property back to them. Police say the house near 49th and Victoria was like a showroom for fenced goods, with merchandise displayed on racks and tables throughout the main floor, all available for sale at steep discount from retail price. No knockoffs here. This is all name brand stuff, like this Patagonia jacket, which retails for 500 bucks. The people who were in the residence when the warrant was executed, they were the ones who were stealing the property and then reselling it from this house. Police won't say how the two suspects managed to loot 130 grand worth of stuff from stores in just a matter of months. Investigators expect to recommend possession and theft charges against the duo, who for now are out of jail. Shoplifting, minor thefts, what some people would call a minor theft, are going underreported. But VPD say it's an issue they're focusing on. Last month, arresting 25 people using undercover officers at theft hotspots downtown. So far this year, the force has investigated nearly 2,000 shoplifting incidents. But that number's got to be higher, where store owners are just uh, taking the hit. But we do recommend that they call the Vancouver Police so we can investigate and, and at least get these numbers and stats so we know where these things are happening. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Well, every year at around this time, someone somewhere takes advantage of the generosity of the others and of others. And thieves don't care who they hit. In Surrey, the city's Christmas bureau was broken into. The thieves getting away with thousands of dollars worth of gift cards. But as Linda Aylesworth reports, the Christmas spirit came through to write a happy ending. 
and parents are welcome to take one down and have a look. Lisa Wearing fundraises for the Surrey Christmas Bureau year-round so that no one is turned away empty-handed over the holidays. You can see the stress that is um, weighing on these parents with the expense of Christmas and worrying are they going to be able to give their kids anything. 2,000 families rely on this, BC's largest Christmas charity. We cry tears of joy mostly here, not tears of sorrow as we did this morning. This is what happened this morning. A break-in by a thief or thieves who went straight for the charity's three newly donated laptops, as well as $6,000 in gift cards that were being tagged and packaged the night before for teens in need. Everybody in the community knows that we're here to help families in need. And these uh, Grinches knew exactly who they were targeting. When we go through a loss like this, it, it hits because... You think of the heart and soul that we pour into this place every day. Thousands of volunteer hours go into the annual Goodwill effort. It's really sad. I mean, it's a tough time of year for a lot of people anyways. I was really shocked at first because why would somebody steal from a bureau, right? 88 families are expected at the depot today alone, many with teenagers. For them, there will be no gifts. After helping to grant the wishes of so many. Hi, Ray. How's it going? Lisa now has a wish of her own. I hope that a day that started out like the Grinch that stole Christmas is going to wind up like the ending of It's a Wonderful Life. Well, Lisa, today you're going to get your wish. Meet Mr. Blake. Lisa, how would you like a, a check for $10,000 from my music and Mr. Blake Foundation here to replace um, the gift cards, etc.? We can't always prevent bad things from happening, but we can turn them around. It really is a wonderful life. Christmas should be celebrated every way, every day. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. And just so you know, a big Christmas deadline is upon us. Today's the last day to send packages via regular mail and get them where they're going by Christmas. If it's already too late, don't worry. You can pay more and send express post packages up until December 20th and priority packages until December 23rd. Still seeing some major delays on Highway 1 east through Vancouver, Burnaby and Coquitlam. There's a stalled semi to watch out for at Brunette. Westbound traffic is dealing with an accident now. It's just before the Cassiar Tunnel, off to the shoulder, but backed up to Willingdon. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $7 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A huge plume of black smoke rises over the Russian city of Yekaterinburg as flames race through a paint factory. The blaze started in a warehouse where hundreds of paint barrels were being stored. Exploding barrels made the battle treacherous for firefighters. No casualties have been reported. Well, the campaigning is over in the UK and voters are about to head to the polls for what's being called the Brexit election. If Prime Minister Boris Johnson wins a majority, it's expected the UK will finally leave the EU in January. And as Redmond Shannon reports, he's desperate not to make any mistakes in the last few days of the campaign. Prime Minister Boris Johnson spent his last morning of the campaign delivering milk and avoiding questions. Mr Johnson, why do you have five minutes? You're live on Good Morning. Why did, why did, did you talk to Piers and Susanna for me? I'll be, I'll be with you in a second. I'll be with you in a second. Instead, he took refuge in a fridge. Johnson has a clear lead in the polls and he doesn't want it to slip by making any mistakes. His equally divisive opponent, Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn, hasn't been able to capitalise on Johnson's tactics. 
I've not come here to deliver milk or to hide in a fridge. I've come here with a message of hope. A message of hope for this country, of what this manifesto, what our party represents. Both main leaders have low approval ratings, and for many voters, Thursday will be about whom they dislike the least. If I'm honest with you, there's no ch there is no choice. Um, I don't like either of the main candidates, um, so I'm struggling. None of them tell the truth. They just don't tell the truth. I think it's been incredibly divisive, yes. I mean, it's been very noisy, very argumentative. The latest polls suggest Johnson should be headed for a majority, but the lead has tightened and he may end up with a minority. In that case, opposition parties may form an alliance and push for a second Brexit referendum sometime in 2020. That would be four years after the first one. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. Some stunning testimony today in the ongoing investigation into the Boeing 737 MAX jets. A U.S. House Transportation Committee heard that after the first crash of a 737 MAX, U.S. safety officials estimated there could be 15 more fatal crashes over the next few decades if Boeing didn't fix an automated flight control system. Despite that, the FAA didn't ground the plane until a second deadly crash five months later. The FAA did confirm today it will not allow the jets to resume flying before the end of 2019. Disgraced movie mogul Harvey Weinstein has reportedly reached a multi-million civil settlement with dozens of women who accused him of sexual misconduct. The news comes on the same day Weinstein arrived at a Manhattan court using a walker because of a back injury. The 67-year-old's bail was increased from $1 million to $5 million for repeatedly mishandling his electronic ankle monitor. The $25 million civil settlement would end nearly all lawsuits by women who accused him of sexual offenses. Weinstein isn't required to admit any wrongdoing or, in fact, pay anything out of pocket. Insurers for his former studio would fund the settlement. Weinstein is still set to go on trial in January on criminal charges of sexual assault. Time magazine has revealed its choice for 2019's Person of the Year, and it's a history-making decision. Climate activist Greta Thunberg graces this year's cover. At 16 years old, she's the youngest choice ever. The Swedish teen has become the face, the global face of environmental activism, leading protests around the world, including right here in B.C. In Health Matters tonight, a big boost for the Surrey Hospital Foundation. The Chung family announcing a donation of $1 million toward the foundation's goal of raising $6 million to improve its children's health center. The center is the only health facility in the Fraser Valley dedicated to children's health and pediatric emergencies. The Chung family donating in honor of their late son. Just to have this type of a cancer treatment facility locally instead of driving all the way to Vancouver, I hope and pray that that will lessen the little bit of a pain for the parents and also for the children. Along with a new oncology clinic, improvements to the center will include more outpatient clinics, space for pre- and post-surgery patients, and more patient rooms for overnight stays. A company that operates an app that tracks wait times at walk-in clinics says BC has, on average, the second longest waits in Canada. 
Medimap says while the national average wait at a clinic is 31 minutes, B.C. patients wait an average of 43 minutes. That's nearly twice as long as Albertans who wait an average of 25 minutes. The longest waits are in Nova Scotia, an average of 55 minutes there. Ontario clinics also have some of the shortest waits at 26 minutes. Vancouver Island come across a bizarre sight, an eagle in the grips of an octopus. The results of their rescue attempt right after the forecast. As I saw someone tweet today, a great idea for a tattoo. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. Uh, Christy, let's check in with her. The rain came back this afternoon, didn't it? Sure did. It was a foggy morning, and then, yes, the rain took over this afternoon. We're also seeing gusty conditions out there. Thank you to John Bukers for this. Golden Ears Park and one more of that fog, yes, from Abbotsford. Thank you to Cindy for that one. Uh, so here's a look at uh, the winds that we could see as we head towards the evening hours. So they're just starting to pick up, but we could see them in the 40 to 60 kilometer an hour range, but that 60 would be out near the water's edge. Not likely uh, the we won't likely see any power outages, but there certainly is a chance. Uh, but they're not going to last long. They'll die down by late evening hours, and it's because this band is going to move inland. In behind that band of rain, more waves of rain, one after another. So pockets of rain expected tomorrow. You'll certainly see some dry patches, but you'll see some rain as well. It'll be on and off, and then we'll continue to see that on Friday. Although Friday, the dry patches will be much longer than uh, what we'll see on Thursday. And we've got warnings inland, snowfall warnings for the BC Peace River area near Tumbler Ridge as well as two highways under a warning and that is the Coquihalla as well as the Kootenai Pass area up to 25 centimeters of snow. Now the bulk of that will fall overnight and through the morning hours tomorrow but even tomorrow afternoon when things ease off we'll see pockets of uh, snowfall so all of a sudden it could be pretty intense for a brief period so right through the day tomorrow I would avoid those highways and then other highways with significant snow especially the one I wanted to point out is Whistler Village. 10 centimeters of snow. That's the most so far this evening, or this season is what I wanted to say. So yes, significant amounts expected there. So here's your forecast for tomorrow. Rain for the coastal regions, inland regions, snow. We'll see snowfall down through the Columbia region, just flurries for the Kootenai area and dry through the Okanagan Valley. For the south coast, again, pockets of rain on and off tomorrow. A bit gusty tomorrow also, and then showers on Friday. We're still hoping for sunshine over the weekend. It's a bit iffy, so keep turning back in over the next couple of days. And I'll leave you with another false streak hole shot. This one I really liked because the hole is so well defined and you can see the uh, ice crystals falling there. Thank you to Che for that one. So that we've had so many of these photos because these were seen on Monday in the Chilliwack sort of Langley area. You've been nerding out all week. I know. Yeah, it's I have been, been awesome. Uh, thanks very much, Christy. Well, employees of a fish farm off the coast of northern Vancouver Island came across one of the strangest things you'll see and felt like they had to intervene. They found what appeared to be the end of a battle between a bald eagle and an octopus, and the octopus was clearly winning. So they decided to give the eagle a little help. <laughs> that was amazing. Look at the size of this. Wow. Using a pike pole, they managed to peel most of the octopus off the eagle, giving it a chance to get away. The bird spent a few minutes composing itself before flying off, and the octopus dove out of view. Hey. Yes. You left and then you came back with I know, I wanted to see something. I had to do something. I had to fix something. Okay, it's all fixed and now you're ready to go. Well, I hope so. We'll soon find out how I did. Um, whoa, I should have worked on that. 
that masked face, right, be nope, right beside me, <laughs> mirror image. That masked face right beside me right now was in the nightmares of Brock Besser, Elias Pettersson, Bo Horvat, Travis Green, the rest of the Canucks, and most of Canuck Nation. Frederick Anderson, Leafs netminder, who last night was virtually unbeatable. It's not often you can say this and not get much of an argument. But despite losing 4-1, the Canucks were probably the better team for most of the game with Toronto on Tuesday. It was a good game. Great atmosphere, as there always is when the Leafs are here. But the Canucks ran into a goaltender they couldn't beat enough times. Here's Pedersen with a shot, and Anderson sliding to his left. Besser's got a breakaway. Brock Besser in on Anderson. Glove saved by Freddie Anderson. I think we played good enough to win. We had our chances. Uh, Brock had chances. I had chances. Um. Another night against any other goalie in the Vancouver Canucks likely win Tuesday's game against the Leafs. Canucks unloaded 39 shots on Freddie Anderson, including numerous glorious scoring opportunities, yet still lost 4-1. It was one of those games where you can honestly say the result didn't equal the Canucks' effort. No, as a team, I think we got to build off that game and continue to, to play uh, hockey that way. I thought we played a heck of a game tonight, to be honest with you. Um, you know, they capitalized on their chances and their uh, their goaltender stood on his head tonight. Um, I mean, I don't know how many breakaways Bess had. I had my uh, breakaway myself. Sometimes you just got to tip your cap and, and take the positives out of this one and move on to the next game. Marner gets the puck, feeds it back to the line. CC long shot, tipped in! John Tavares on the deflection. The one noticeable difference on the night was Toronto's best players got the job done. John Tavares buried his chances, while the likes of Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, and Leas Pedersen didn't. Last year's Rookie of the Year held off the score sheet for just the 12th time in 31 games. Vancouver won 9-2 in those games when Petey is held pointless. It's one of those games when the puck won't go in, even though we create a lot. Yeah, I wouldn't call tonight a step back, though. I mean, we played we played better than the two games we won, I felt like. So, I mean, it's uh, it's part of hockey. You're going you're gonna to play good some nights and, and not get the results you want. The uh, Canucks have called Zach McEwen back up from Utica because Michael Furlan got hurt again last night, although the Canucks aren't saying much about what happened to him, upper body injury. They did say today it's not a concussion. At least they don't think so, which, of course, he just got over. But who really knows until the doctors give their final report? We should know more tomorrow. Sedano Chera and Tom Wilson. Sedano Chera may be an old guy, but he still doesn't mind throwing. Okay, this is a nice goal. David Pasternak. Again, I go back to that draft. Just before Pasternak was taken, the Canucks, I know, a lot of teams passed on him, but the Canucks went with Jared McCann instead. Be nice to see him in a Canucks uniform. That's a great goal. This is better. TJ Oshie with moves. 3-2 late in the third. I think that's now a final between Washington and Boston. Well, the San Jose Sharks fired head coach Peter DeBoer today. San Jose's in a five-game losing streak right now. This firing was because the team was not playing up to expectations. We have to point that out these days. It had nothing more to do than that. Management felt a change was needed behind the bench, so Bob Bugner takes over. He was the Florida Panthers coach the last couple of years. Uh, they got to say their thank yous, of course, at the championship parade, but the city of Toronto wanted one more night with Kawhi Leonard to give him more love for the NBA championship from last June. And tonight they got it with the L.A. Clippers paying a visit to T.O. 
Even though Kawhi was one and done with the Raptors, he left behind a prize nobody can ever take from that franchise and that city and, I guess, this country. And he got some jewelry for it as well, along with plenty of cheers. They had his ring waiting for him, and Kyle Lowry gave it to him. Now he has two rings because he got one with San Antonio a few years ago. All right. And now Lowry and Kawhi facing off against each other, and Kawhi wins this battle. He won a few battles tonight. In fact, he had 23 points, and it wasn't really much of a game. Raptors go with the old-school unis. That's Damon Stoudemire style. And it's 112-92 the final for the Clippers over the Raptors. Tottenham Bayern Munich today, Champions League. Alfonso Davies is out there, number 19. Can he score? Shoot! Oh, off the post. Oh, but Thomas Muller scores instead. So he was part of that goal. He was also part of this one. He set up Philippe Coutinho, who uh, had a beautiful shot here. Coutinho. Coutinho again! Just outside the reach. And Munich wins it by the score of 3-1. to one. President's Cup has started down in Melbourne. There's Adam Hadwin. And uh, Sanjay M is his partner in the first matches. And this is Hadwin. Very nice for the international team. They're not playing Tiger Woods' team. This is Tiger. And this is the only match the Americans are leading right now. So it's early, but three and a half to one and a half. That's the lead the international team has at the moment. Oh, score's not even there. Okay, three and a half to one and a half is the lead. And there you see uh, Hadwin's partner, Sun J.M. making a putt. Tough to pull off the white pants. It's hard. See that is American, true. I've, going all I've, in I've, on rarely, I've rarely worn the white pants <laughs> because of that. I know what would happen. There'd be a mark for sure. You're for not sure. supposed to after Labor Day anyway. Well, then when's it start, though? I always wonder that. Okay. May long weekend? Sure, okay. <laughs> and now a little boy in Texas who's dealing with challenges most of us can't even imagine also setting an amazing example of the good that can be done. I like this robot. If you're looking for a story to warm your heart this holiday, it's a really good day, summer bracelet. Meet Elliot Weich. My dad is the best, my mom is the best, and everyone that I know is the best. A four-year-old with a rare genetic defect. He essentially is uh, walking around, running around um, with only half of a heart. He had his first of three open-heart surgeries at just four days old. That was a long story. But he's more interested in giving than getting this season. Oh, we got yeah, room we back got room. here. When Facebook followers of the little boy nicknamed the Tin Man asked what he wanted for Christmas, his family set up a toy drive. Instead of keeping the gifts, they decided to give them away. All the kids who don't have toys say thank you. Inviting the Arlington, Texas SWAT team to come and collect dozens of toys. A surprise to Elliot their way to say thanks. Man, my heart is beeping tonight and I don't know what to do. He's going through so much, but he's giving back. He's my hero. There you go, dude. Oh my <laughs> gosh. A little boy with a heart of gold, no matter what the doctors say. Merry Christmas. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News. Oh my God. <laughs> do you just want to hug him? him? Mm -hmm. He's so cute. Yeah, he's cuter than baby Yoda.
<laughs> yeah, and yeah. that is saying something. I know. I haven't he seen is. Baby Yoda yet. But Baby Yoda going viral. You'll get, you'll get okay. hooked on Baby Yoda. Okay. Sure. All right, final word on the weather, Christy. Sure. So we're still expecting rain and wind this evening. The wind will die down overnight, but the rain will continue into tomorrow morning. Uh, tomorrow we're expecting sort of rain on and off. So there'll certainly be some dry patches, but not the kind of day where you want to be uh, out without a rain jacket because you'll definitely need it at times. Hope for the weekend, it looks like, too. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night. Good night, all.